Now, just for the sake of it, just to get it started, I would like to move to the chapter paragraph number 11 and just to give you one sample of the ones coming. The 11th chapter is called The Ten Resemblances Wherein One May Err. Like, there are things which deceptively look like one and the other, and people can be very easily deluded. That's where discrimination is required. It's again Ajna Chakra to be able to say this is the real thing, this is the fake thing. And you'll see how beautifully, how sharp they are pointing things. Number one deserves a volume of comments, and that's why I start with it. I don't intend to go more than another 15 minutes. If I will feel that I haven't finished this one, then <clears throat> I will continue with it next time, next Thursday. Desire, number one, the first resemblance. Desire may be mistaken for faith or devotion. Some of you say, I'm full of faith or devotion. Tibetan yoga questions this, says maybe you just have desire. Maybe you desire something and faith and devotion fit with that bill. They resemble it, they are convenient, they serve the purpose, but actually you do what you do not because of faith and devotion. It's not unconditional. You actually have a desire. You have the desire because you are afraid of death and you would like not to die. You are having an endless desire for power and think if I would become like Milarepa, I could spin the world on my little finger and I'll have all the power that a human being can ever dream of having. Maybe there is a secret motivation in you which simply says, oh, for this you should jump on the horse of yoga and you should do lots and lots of yoga. But actually you are not there for yoga. You are there because you are afraid of death. You are there because you want to get lots of sex. You are there because you want to have power. You are there, God knows, because of what. Sometimes desire may be mistaken for faith or devotion. Many people think, why if so many monks go into monasteries, not all of them get enlightened? After all, many of them spend 40, 50 years in monastic life, and some of them, they are old men, old women, who just become sour flops, sour fiascos, which have not. They are old and they have lived a lifetime in spirituality, but they haven't reached any spirituality. The reason is that those people did not have the right motivation. And either they didn't have a good guru to whip their asses for it, or if they had a guru, they sneaked. They simply cheated. They didn't do what the guru told them. And they were there somewhere in the community, keeping a respectful distance from the teacher, because they knew that if they come too close, the teacher was going to zap them. So they, pre they simply practiced a safe distance so that they could live a mediocre spiritual life in which you are not close enough to the spiritual guide so that he zaps you with his spiritual dynamism and doesn't give you a break and always, always challenges you more, more, more. And people say, no, not right now, I need a break. Or 
After all, I don't even know if this spiritual guide is the real thing. And therefore, you know what, I better stay a little bit away and do my thing. There is a big risk in this, because the risk is that your motivation might not be the right motivation. A spiritual guide can feel it, and the spiritual guide starts zapping you, making fun of you, mocking you, humiliating you, putting you to work. Do also, and, and nobody can understand why is Swami so hard on that person. It's because Swami is supposed to see that something is wrong there, and that person is zapped, and it has two choices. Either you become the way your guru wants you to be, or you realize that you are not cut for this thing, and you go away. No, like, but this mediocrity, in the Bible, the angel tells, the, in the book of Revelation, he says, you have been lukewarm about the teachings of God, moderate, mo like middle of the way, middling. And the angel of God says, ah, if you would have been hot, or even if you would have been cold, like against, but because you have been lukewarm, I shall spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm is failure. Lukewarm is trying to cheat in spirituality because you don't have the courage to go away and to simply say, this yoga is bullshit, there is no God, I want just to drink and eat and be merry, and then maybe you get a cancer in your colon and you get to repent and you come back with your tail between your legs and you say, I was wrong, I'm ready to mend my life. Or, you really come in the hotbed of the spiritual practice and you go to your spiritual teacher and tell him, zap me. My ego doesn't matter. Don't give me a moment of peace. Just make me work. I mean, you are the guarantee of me reaching something. Make me reach something. I give myself to you. As you know, even in a relatively small school and lineage like Agama, there are people who give themselves to the teaching completely. They surrender. And then it is possible for me and for other of the advanced teachers to guide them. Because when they are guided, people say, yes, sorry, yes, I don't like it, but yes. Because the teacher, if the teacher is a real teacher, is not supposed to do things for the teacher's sake, but for the pupil's sake. Even when it's rough, in the old days when people practiced physical correction, which today has become not politically correct, like parents spanked their kids, the parents often did it with a heavy heart and with pain and remorse because they said physical correction has to be administered, although I hate it and it makes my heart cry, has to be administered for the good of the child. Of course, you can highlight that there existed parents who were perverts, sadists, neurotic people, drunks or others, and who exaggerated and administered physical correction in such a way that it became repulsive, neurotic, and producing psychological traumas. But read and see that there has also been this trend that some people thought sometimes you have to zap the one that you educate because simply they are engrossed in something which is bad. And you have to give them a, show, a cold shower to wake them up. 
But today in the 21st century, very few people have such a faith that they go to their spiritual teacher and they say, zap me, I will not sue you into court. I will not write a bad blog about you and the school. I am here to be zapped. Zap me, spank me if necessary, make me into a spiritual human being. It's a matter of surrender. It's a matter of faith. Only when you really have the right motivation, faith and devotion. But if your motivation is desire, then you try to cheat. Then it's easy to cheat. And there is a very safe way of cheating. Especially in the 21st century, very few gurus are still intrusive, invasive like they used to be. Maybe some Tibetan gurus, especially in their environment. Maybe some Indian gurus, but less and less. Maybe some Japanese Zen senseis, if you go into their monastery, they would practice with you the hard-handed way of practicing, knowing that you need that. Most of the modern gurus, they have said, what? You are making claims of human rights and democracy and this? Sure. That, that simply says sometimes the guru is a spiritual father and it is a more paternal figure. But today, most gurus, included here in Agama, we prefer to be according to the model of Alan Watts, one of the American modern Buddhist exegetes, who proposed the model that the guru is the spiritual friend. Okay, you don't want a spiritual father because you are not able to take the pressure. Therefore, the guru steps back and says, I wish you would let me polish you harder. But because you don't wish, then I will be your spiritual friend. Which means when truly you bang your head against the wall and bleed too much, then you come to me and ask for advice. And I'm telling you, well, I could have told you, I saw it coming. You didn't ask, you didn't ask me to guide you really the hard way because you thought you were smart and so on. And therefore, I as a spiritual friend, friendly, kindly, democratically, you know, we are in a forum like this. I'm telling you, sure, work or see, you didn't work enough on anahata. You should develop your anahata. You should have less impulsiveness. You are still full of attachment, still full of desires. Why don't you meditate with this? Why don't you do that? And so on. There are different shades to what can do in spirituality. This is a very, very profound statement. Desire can be mistaken for faith and devotion. You yourself sometimes may say, oh, that person has so much faith and devotion. There was a story which with Muktananda and others we were laughing uproariously when I was teaching in Rishikesh. There was an Indian Baba called Lotan Baba. This guy was making everything possible to gain popularity. He started by rolling 3,000 or 5,000 kilometers, rolling like a pancake. He lied down laterally and he started rolling on a pilgrimage to Vaishnadevi temple in Jammu. Instead of walking like every other person, he rolled. This was supposed to be a tapas. And you would say, what tapas is this? What merit is in this tapas? The only merit which he gained was that people touched his feet and worshipped him. Then he developed another tapas, or maybe this one was first. I even forgot the sequence. He stood six months or one year, I forgot, on one foot. He tied up one of his feet like a stork, 
and he stood on one foot day and night. He was propping his elbows on a swing from the branch of a tree, and he was standing like this for one year. Even when he slept, he slept on that swing. His leg, on which he stood, became swollen, blue, brown. It started having cracks in the skin. And most people thought might be, he might get gangrene from all this. And the villagers came and begged him, and they said, Babaji, whatever he was called, you know, like, we don't need you to stand. We respect you anyway. Like, everybody knew it was about getting famous. It was about getting people's attention, faith, respect. And people told him, we're going to touch your feet anyway. Don't destroy yourself. Look at your leg. And Lotan Baba did not. He simply stood there for one year. This is the foolish type of tapas in which the motivation of which is desire, not faith and not devotion. These are not acts of devotion. Devotion is done in the hiding. For example, Jesus says, if you are fasting as a religious act, don't tell anybody. Keep it secret because if people know that you are fasting, they are going to praise you. They are going to admire you. And then Jesus says, if you do that, your reward is in the mouth of the people that praise you. That's what you get out of it. If you fast secretly, and he says when you fast, don't look miserable, don't drag yourself so that people say, oh, look at him, how he tortured himself with spirituality. Jesus says, smile, sit up straight, smear your head with oil, like cosmetics, you know. Look smart and nice. Don't let anybody suspect that you are doing a spiritual tapas. And if you don't let people praise you for it, then God will praise you for it, which means you are going to get a spiritual reward from it. Desire may be mistaken for faith and devotion. Sometimes people do things which look like motivated by faith and devotion, and actually they are produced by desire. That's why some spiritual gurus, and I totally subscribe to their opinion, they get, they get rabid when they see this. They get so irritated by spiritual hypocrisy. Jesus himself shouted at the Pharisees who pretended to be very knowledgeable, Kabbalistic, Jewish scholars, and Jesus shouted at them and says that he told them, hypocrites! You don't get to the kingdom of heaven and you don't allow others to get to the kingdom of heaven because you are playing this game of hypocrisy and appearances. He told them you have no faith and devotion. You have desires. You are practicing a pro forma religion in which you are making a show of so much zeal and so much each, but actually you are fake. That is ever since when you look in the dictionary that Pharisean means also somebody who is fake. When you are called a Pharisean, it means somebody that is fake, somebody that is a hypocrite. It became synonym to that in history, although originally it was the name of a sect in Judaism. There were the Phariseans, a class of priests, a class of practitioners. This is Phariseanism, or whatever you'd call it, that desire is the actual motivation, not faith and devotion. Try to think, you yourselves, how would I act if I would be motivated by faith and devotion? 
Am I acting out of faith and devotion? Or am I acting out of desire? When you have desire, there is a secret agenda. And you can catch it. A guru can catch it. Because the guru will zap you with something which is according to faith and devotion, but against the desire. And then you will have to choose. And then your true face will be shown. Because you will reveal that actually there is something more important than the faith and devotion. I'm actually having a secret desire. That desire is what motivates me. But gurus know, if you take a disciple like that, and you teach them hypnotic abilities, mental abilities, magic, siddhis, and other things, those, person might become, those persons might become demonic, black magicians, Luciferian, because their center is not in God. Their center is in their desires, and therefore they want to feed their ego, they want to feed their purpose, their mind, their true purpose, is not the spiritual emancipation. This is a very powerful statement which shows, and it's one only of the ten resemblances, where things can look very kosher, they are not. And it takes a spiritual discriminative consciousness to see that way, because many people come and tell me, Swami, have you seen, have you heard that that person does this and that? And very often people are surprised to see that I am reserved, like I'm not getting enthusiastic very easily. And that's not true because I'm a very, very enthusiastic temperament. I am on the Enneagram, the very temperament called the enthusiast, the number seven. So when I don't get enthusiastic, it's because I do feel that, wait a second, things are not clear. A test has not been passed. We don't know yet. It's still questionable. That is why in the moment, like I don't want to think the negative thing, so I'm not saying, no, that's wrong. Sometimes it's obvious, but then. But even if it's not obvious, I would simply say, let's wait. The test of time, the different other tests, they will show really what stuff we've got here. Every truth will be shown till the end. There is, as Jesus says, there will be no truth which will not be exposed eventually. Everything will come to the surface. It just takes time and patience and spiritual tests will come and things will be clarified sooner or later. This is a, a sentence which is worth meditating upon. Desire may be mistaken for faith or devotion. Especially when you don't have a guru or a spiritual guide on whom you really feel that you can rely, you have to meditate profoundly on this in your life. Am I ruled by desire or is this faith and devotion indeed? With this, let us conclude for tonight. It's more than enough. Let us remain a couple of minutes in silent introspection to allow the mind to calm down and to settle, to ground, to plant the seed of those fundamental truths after which we'll stop for tonight and part. Whatever method of introspection, meditation you practice, most probably those learned here in Agama, go into that state of meditation.
And that will do. With this, we have finished for tonight. Namaste to all of you. See you in the next discourses, in the next satsangs.